This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hey, putas. Welcome to an all-new episode of The Low Show. I'm your host, Lo Von Room. All right, so today I have the most important guest I'll ever have on this podcast and probably the most important episode I'll ever do because it's just so special to me. My guest is my mama, the queen herself. All right, so let me preface this by saying that my mom is very shy and not many people know that about her because she seems so outgoing and bubbly, but that's just a front. She's actually super shy and introverted. And she was very apprehensive about doing this episode because one, she's shy. And two, I think it's just nerve wracking for someone who keeps their life so private to all of a sudden open themselves up on a platform where people are free to judge and make opinions and comments. And it's just not something she signed up for. And I know it makes her nervous. She tells me she's nervous about it, but it's because she supports me and always encourages me to be so vulnerable and fearless and open that she's agreed to sit down and be a guest on The Low Show. So my hope is that she comes back for round two. And I think that's going to be the situation because our conversation that was so beautiful went a little over time. So I'm probably going to have to split it into two episodes this week and one next week. But I would love for her to be a constant guest on this podcast because she's a brilliant woman and she's given me incredible life advice. I feel like she could do the same to you. So now if you don't have a good relationship with your mom or you haven't spoken to your mom or your mom's no longer here. I understand. And I know that's not easy. And the holidays are a time when that's extra difficult. And because of that, I want to share my mom with you. You low lifers have a podcast mama here for you, ready to give advice on anything you need. My mom has lived a thousand lives and has always been the one that everybody goes to for advice and comfort and solid guidance or just a hug. She gives the best hugs. So aside from her being a spicy little Latina, she would be pissed if I didn't give you a little background info on her, the professional side of her. So she's also a brilliant businesswoman. And a little backstory, she is all about that entrepreneur life, owning her own business. She's had many. Women-owned businesses are her love language. And if you're a minority, oh shit, that's even better. She's all about that. She's had a strong background in economic development and business. And she's won many awards for launching the first Women's Business Center in Orange County, California. That's where I was from. And she's helped hundreds of women start and grow their own companies. She's created regional programs to assist thousands of veterans and underserved population. My mom has headlined Latina conferences and women's conferences nationwide. And she's well known for her passion in helping the underdog, securing resources and millions of dollars to help small businesses. And her work has saved thousands of jobs. She's an accomplished speaker, and she's hosted international trade delegations, and she just brings so much expertise in marketing and business planning and finance and how to start your business. I felt like I had no choice but to be an entrepreneur. It's in my bones. It's in my blood. At the very core of my mom is her deep insight to understanding people and the depth from lessons she's just learned in her own unique journey. And she's had an insane roller coaster ride, which makes for a person as a great sounding board when life gets confusing. So all those incredible qualities and accomplishments she has aside, she considers her greatest accomplishment to be motherhood. So I remember I used to be embarrassed for how close I am to my mom, and I would have certain friends who would poke fun at me for being like a grown-ass man who's besties with his mom. 
they'd be like, what's wrong with you, man? Like you have to tell your mom everything. And as I've grown older, instead of being embarrassed or hiding the fact that I'm super close and have a very open and honest relationship with my mom, now I'm proud and I embrace it. I know I'm lucky to have her. And on today's episode, I was a little shook because I've learned some things about my mom I didn't know before. I didn't even think that was possible. I thought I knew it all. But she opened up about parenting and my childhood and what shaped me as a man today. And she opened up about her own childhood and abuse she's experienced. And it was a very raw conversation we had. My mom and I laughed. We got emotional. And I didn't even think it was possible for us to feel closer. But after this episode, the bond is even stronger. So. Today, I hope your takeaway from The Low Show is better understanding of unconditional love, breaking societal norms, gender roles, and the true essence of forgiveness. So, without further ado, I would like to welcome you to my happy place, the Von Rumpf Dinner Table, where all my family stories, memories, life advice, heart-to-heart conversations go down. I hope you enjoy it. I'm sitting down with my mom, the queen. So I call my mom the queen. I've always called her that. It's been her nickname since, I don't know, how, when did I start calling you the queen? Probably when you're about five years old. Yeah, five years old, queen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, if you hear me referring to her as queen, that's why. Um, I've been, that's her nickname. So I'm sitting down with my mom. We are in our house uh, or my mom's house. And we're at the dining room where it all happens. Unconditional love of a parent. You've always had unconditional love, and I put you through some shit in my childhood. I think I was a pretty good kid, though, when I was younger. I didn't put you through too much, did I? No, you're a good, you're a good baby. Happy? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I did an episode where I talked about how you always let me be who I wanted to be <laughs> and always embraced me being whoever, whoever I wanted to be. Yeah, wearing what I wanted, liking whatever music. You never tried to change who I am, and that always mm-hmm. will be the most important thing to me. Well, I think that's important when you when you have a a baby and then you kind of as a parent just go through all the phases with your child as they go on to adulthood. The thing is that you think it's going to end at 18 and that's kind of just where it's beginning to me because 18 oh. and 22 were hell okay. you know, with you. <laughs> Put you through quite a bit. Yeah, but it was it was good stuff. It was good trouble. Was were, it? Yeah. I mean, but any parent you see your your child go through anything and you just know they're running into a Mack truck, but you, you know, what do you do? Let them do it. No, you don't let them run into a Mack truck. No, you try and tell them if you go in this direction, you're going to get hit by a Mack truck. You know, I think that you're a trailblazer in the world of parenting, because if we take it back to Little Low back in 1989, I have to say that you, you didn't follow the norms at all uh, when you were raising me. And I know like even dad would say like, oh, you know, I don't want him to, you know, have a doll or or maybe he shouldn't have to carry a purse like that. Get out of here. Make him be in sports. And I think that I was just society wants to push you in a very specific direction. But you always encouraged me to be something different. Yeah, I thought that gender roles didn't make sense to you. It didn't make sense to me. Still doesn't make sense to me. It still is upsetting to me. but. Even as a as a baby, when you have a child and you're looking at that child and you realize you're a blank slate. Now, you know, I, I didn't want to have a child when I did. But you know, Oh, yeah, you were 24. 
No, yeah, 25. But I kind of was already breaking norms. Everybody I knew got married at 18. I waited till I was like 24. They And people thought that you were too old. Like you were getting pressure. I was the spinster of the family. Because <laughs> you waited too long. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of was like wild woman. She'll never settle down. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, when I got married. Oh, I background got... info, too. Mom's a little hot tamale back <laughs> in the day out in the club. She danced. She was a, a dancer, a cheerleader, a song leader, amazing choreographer. Before, I mean, now she's a business boss. But before that, you were quite the uh, she was on Soul Train. I mean, she was living her best life dancing. She knew every big dancer out there. Michael Jackson's dancers. And she was uh, a little hot thing. Can you imagine my sadness when I ended up pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't ready. Was dad, so dad and you met and dated for a long time. Yeah, we did. And, and we got married. So we got married in July. But in October, I felt sick. And I thought, uh oh. And the only reason is because I, you know, I had skipped the pill because I was getting spots on my face. And oh, birth so, control? Birth control. Oh, yeah. So I'm embarrassed to see all my little history there. But no, um, that's a common thing. I mean, it, yeah, you I got, had no intention of getting pregnant. No. And you got pregnant on Columbus Day, which, which is, is a another, day you hate. I hate that day. But yeah, you know. My so, dad, oh, it's because my mom doesn't like Columbus because he enslaved okay. people, <laughs> indigenous people, rapes. You know, you're killed. just making me out to be like a complete kook. It's not a kook. It's, I think it's very accurate. Yeah, Columbus was an asshole. Yes. So and to, to get knocked up on that day, you enslaved me. Basically, yeah, for nine so, months. Yeah, I was really upset. Did you think about not keeping me? Yeah. Wow. Dark. Yeah. I did. <laughs> oh my I did. God. And then I thought about not telling anybody and then like throwing myself down the stairs. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm so glad you didn't do that. I know. You know why? You were really bummed. Well, yeah, because you're scared. And, you know, I was in my junior year of college and, and I had it all mapped out. You know me, I'm a planner. And, and then that happened and I got sick and I thought, oh, oh, why am I getting sick? And then, you know, you just had me throwing up nonstop. I was throwing up. And so I thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to embrace this. So I had a real fun pregnancy with you. I loved my pregnancy. In hindsight, I don't know if I loved it so much that I was just a fun pregnant person or I was camouflaging the whole pregnancy. Oh, yeah. You don't, oh, you didn't even announce it to people. Not for a long time. What, what, like six months, seven months? Didn't you wait till like month eight? Because <laughs> you weren't showing. I, I wasn't really, a big baby. You didn't pop out like showing, showing till I was in my eighth month. Jeez. But I would say from like, you know, young, when I was first pregnant up until maybe six months, it was just, I kind of looked like I was gaining a little weight, mm -hmm. you know, but I mean, my family knew and everybody was happy and I had a baby shower and. No, I, I enjoyed it. It's just I had a hard time telling outside the family. And I think I was just, I think a lot of it was like, it's not part of the plan. I'm supposed to be going to school. Everybody's going to pity me. Like, oh, my God, she got knocked up. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It was just weird. That was just back in those days. But when I had you, well, I didn't kind of really bond to you at first either. What? Postpartum? <laughs> well, remember, you were born. And then, you know. When a baby's born, the mother forms that immediate bond. And I was like, yeah, I'm good. What? You didn't have? No. What the hell? You didn't have an instant <laughs> bond with me? No, I've told you this, haven't I? No. Oh. You left that part out. <laughs> but I'm glad you're doing it on the low show. 
I'm sorry, everyone. I'm not horrible. <laughs> I think a lot of women go you're through a terrible that. mother. No, no I think a lot kidding. of women go through. You give birth and you're not feeling that connection right away. I thought you looked like a little elf. And I thought, oh, I hope this gets better for me. For what? Him. Was I an ugly baby? No. What the hell? <laughs> you were cute. You were cute, but you kind of look like a little elf. Okay. A little elf. A cute little elf. So <laughs> you didn't bond with me when I first came out of the vagine. Natural birth, no ep epidural, correct? Right. You came out and, and, and I remember the nurse was like, do you want to hold them? And I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. You can hold them. I'm going to be holding them for the rest of my life. You got this. Wow. And so, you know, I went to my room and then she came in. She said, do you want to hold them now? And I said, no, I need to sleep. And then she came in at four in the morning and said, you know what? You're going to hold your baby. And that's how I held you. And then the next day, I just wanted out of the hospital. I just want to go home and just continue and just move on. Mm -hmm. And so we got home. And then I think it was probably the fourth day and you were on the bed and you were crying. And that's when it clicked. I thought, oh, wow. You're like a blank slate. You like really need me. <laughs> yeah. Like this is serious. <laughs> like if I walk out of this room, what's going to happen? Oh, wow. This is serious. And I think that's when motherhood hit. That's when I realized, wow, you're tabula rasa. You are a blank slate. From this point on, everything I do, everything I say, every move I make is going to impact you. Wow. And if you're religious, you think, holy cow, this is the only time that God needed me to birth you because he couldn't do it. I had to birth yeah. you. This is the only time you get to assist God in a miracle. I think women are the miracle. Yeah, we make humans. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow. Superpower. And all of a sudden, the nine months, the getting pregnant, the throwing up, the hiding, the denial. All of a sudden, in that moment, I looked at you and I just fell madly in love. Oh, with your little elf baby. And then I thought, oh, but you're a cute little elf. And yeah. so then I got all into it. But at that point, that's when I thought, well, why am I going to impart what colors you could do or, you know. Oh, like blue or. Blue or, or pink, pink or, or yellow. Yeah. Like, why do you tell a child, oh, no, you can't play with a doll. You have to play with a cowboy and an Indian or a football. Why? G.I. Joe's. What the hell was that all about? And yeah. it just, once it got in my head that you're a blank slate, so everything I'm putting onto you is what you're going to be exposed to. Why was I going to limit that from day one? And it just was so, I don't know, it was like just a big mind blow to me. Yeah. And it kind of just shaped my whole parenting of, no, my, my first role is to nurture you and feed you and wipe your butt and make sure you're okay. Yeah, keep me alive. Keep and me happy alive. And then I baby. thought, then your next phase is, you know, really making sure that everything you can be exposed to everything. So you could be everything you want to be. And and I didn't breastfeed you because you didn't want your boobs to sag. Well, there was that. <laughs> <laughs> there was That's that. true. Well, see, that was your Nana. That was your, your Nana. Yeah. Whispering in my ear, Sally, <laughs> do you really want those to get engorged already big as they are? 
My mom's a full D cup. Okay. You know what? You don't need to tell everybody <laughs> that. Okay. You don't need to tell people Cantaloupes. that. Cantaloupes. <laughs> <laughs> Does the craziness of everyday life leave you stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started seeing a little bit more of your scalp? Has menopause impacted your hormones and your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many root causes at play, and Nutrafol addresses them through a multi-targeted whole body approach. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. I'm excited to have Nutrafol as a sponsor because I use it. I love it. I'm a big fan of this company. I've noticed a big difference in my skin, nails, hair. Even my sleep has improved since I started taking this. Now I have the queen taking it too, and it has been a game changer for her hair. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code LOWLIFE. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code LOWLIFE. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code LOWLIFE. I love me a good edible moment. I talk about it all the time on this show. And so I was so excited that Via became a sponsor of the Low Life Podcast. Oh, this is a dream partnership because I love their edibles. They're so delicious. And they're coming on right in time for Valentine's Day. Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. We're talking about pairing aphrodisiac herbs with a mild amount of THC. Their best-selling High Love gummy will awaken your senses, increases the blood flow, and intensifies any sexual experience, even if it's a solo experience. It's going to be amazing with this gummy. The strawberry-flavored one is my favorite. They're vegan. Organic ingredients are used. They have zero THC products as well. So if you're not down for THC, that's okay, boo. Their CBD line is amazing too, which is really great for sleep, focus, and energy. Their products range from 2 milligrams to 50 milligrams of THC, so there's definitely something for everybody. My favorite part about this sponsor is that they ship to all 50 states legally with discreet packaging directly to your door. It makes it so easy breezy for you. No medical card required. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to viahemp.com and use the code LOWLIFE to receive 15% off plus one free sample of their Sleepy Dreams gummies, 21 and over. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com and use code LOWLIFE at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from Via Hemp. I'm all about leveling up with my lowlifers this year. As a fashion stylist, the first place I want to start, of course, is leveling up your closet. But I don't want you to break the bank. You don't got to spend a lot of money, honey. Design on a dime, boo. You can still elevate your closet on a budget. We want you to save some money here. So I'm happy to have Quince as a sponsor. They are here for us. They're going to take good care of us. At Quince, I get high-end, versatile pieces at affordable prices. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Oh, they're amazing. I bought these beautiful silk pillowcases for my bed. I got a cute jacket, a cozy cashmere cardigan, and navy blue joggers I'm obsessed with. These are staple pieces for my closet that will not go out of style, and I was able to save some money. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash lowlife for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash lowlife to get free shipping and 365-day returns, quince.com slash lowlife. So I thought, no, I don't want but to when you're Well, you said that when you got the milk came in, your breast size went from a D to like an F. 
They were so big, I couldn't breathe. It was like painful. It was painful. And the milk shouldn't have come in because I wasn't breastfeeding. But for whatever reason, Jeez. it did. And I woke up at night and I could see them peripherally with my eye. They're at eye level. Oh, my gosh. They were so freaking grotesquely huge and hurt. And I couldn't pump because if I did, I would produce more milk. So I would stand up and your dad would take gauze and wrap me like Yentol, <laughs> just wrap me around so that they would not like tear. I mean, they were just so big. Oh my gosh. It was just so uncomfortable. How long did that last? So, oh, it took about two, about three weeks for that to go back down. And they never really went back down. And that's why I ended up even bigger. Yeah. Well, size. they, I mean, yeah, they went down though. You're not an F. No, now. no, no, no. Oh, God, no. They went from like a D to a double <laughs> oh, D. Oh, well, we don't need to be talking about my breasts. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Why are we talking about boobs? Sorry. Just given God, visuals see, for the uh, listeners. No, I don't. <laughs> they don't need a visionary. <laughs> they don't need a vision. I mean, <laughs> no, what I'm saying is that I think for some women, maybe they don't bond right away or maybe pregnancy was kind of like a oops, mm -hmm. you know? But for me, it was probably a few days into it that that's when I fell in love. That's when I realized the the huge, you know, responsibility of being a mom. And and yeah, so when it came to, you know, your, your purse or whatever. Oh, when I was in kindergarten and I took a Hello Kitty bag <laughs> to my first day of school. Wasn't that cute? I loved it. It was so cute. Thank you for letting me be me, mom. Well, because to do otherwise would not let you be you yeah then that would bring shame to you're starting that no cycle of shame yeah i know no not for me anyway let society be evil was I'm not dad evil. on board with having me do the purse i used to wear uh no, no. or wear like the little blouses i used to raid nana's closet <laughs> oh by the way so i wish my nana is not alive today she wouldn't even be that old if she were alive today um she was a young nana she had my she started having children around like 15 years old. So I grew up with a very young, I didn't even look at her like a Nana figure. I looked at her like an aunt. I didn't, yeah, because mm -hmm. she just had such a youthful, I mean, you were 25. She was 40. Yeah. Early forties. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when she passed away, she wasn't even in her seventies yet. She was in her mid sixties. She was early sixties. Early sixties. Oh, mm -hmm. that was, that's a whole nother episode. Cause that one mm -hmm. rocked me to my core. She passed away when I was 20. But I, she was my best friend. My mom was my best friend and my Nana. The two most important women to this day in my life has been these two queens. But my mom would let me raid my Nana's closet. My mom's more like, <laughs> I'd say like a, you, you're not a big clothes person. You love accessories. You love handbags. You love jewelry. But you're not really into like crazy uh, fashion. You, mm -hmm. I think you're more, my mom's style is more like blazers, camisoles. She loves a higher neckline. And I think it's because you, you always try to disguise or um, cover your boobs mm -hmm. <laughs> because especially because my mom's in the business environment. So she's always downplaying like her body because she says that guys would always look in and they go focus in on that. And she wants it to be focused on her brain. And I get that misogyny at, at its finest sexism. But anyway, going into raiding closets, I'd go into Nana's because my my Nana was so extravagant and she loved silk robes and ruffles and sequins and the more gaudy it was the better and she's like 
every stereotypical thing for like a glamorous woman, that would be her. She just loved everything to do. She embraced femininity uh, oh, yeah. or embraced being a woman in all angles of it. Um, right. So anyway, I would I would rate her closet. And but you know, there's an interesting backstory to that. Everything has a story, which is fascinating. an origin. Yeah. So, you know, you're not over the top. And I mean, when she went to work, she'd get up at 4 a.m. and she would doll up as if she was going to the Oscars. to the Grammys. Yeah. I mean, her hair, her makeup, high, high shoes, you know, uh, top of the line outfit. She just dolled up from head to toe. Mm-hmm. And I remember one day just being, you know, she worked more in a more athletic. Uh, my my Nana was in charge of exercise science. She was yes. at, worked for the for a school. First, uh, she college. For a community college, and she was responsible for all of the sports, the the women's sports. Mm-hmm. And they would call me and say, "Hey, do you think your mom would wear more like um, the sweats, the t shirt, like athletic wear?" Yeah, they wanted her to wear like an exercise science polo yeah, and a pair like of things that looked joggers. So you know, I would say, "Mom, yeah, I really think you should wear." You know, these pants, maybe the jeans with like the polo with the tennis shoes or whatever. You know. And she would tie it up right below her, her boobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she, she crop top. Yeah. And she turned it into a V-neck. <laughs> and I mean, it just was always uh, well over the top. And she still had her hair and all that done. Everything. Everything. And I remember one day just being so irritated with her. Like, Mom, it's dangerous. You're in gymnasiums. You're that. And you're wearing these. High. You look like a Bratz doll. Literally. Like she was all of 4'11", you know. Tiny little woman like with. a buck 20 weight. Very similar uh, <laughs> body frame to Dolly Parton. Yes. If you can see what Dolly Parton, that was that was my Nana, Nana was a, a Hispanic Dolly Parton. Yes. <laughs> oh, I think that was her role model. <laughs> oh, she loves Sophia Loren, Dolly Parton and Tina yeah. Turner and Tina Turner. And that's what she looked like every day of the week. Oh, yeah. And she'd go, you know, <laughs> chunking in there, dun, dun, going into the the gymnasium and the, all those places. And I was always so scared she was going to hurt herself. And I remember one day saying, mom, you know, I'm so irritated. I really wish that you would just damn wear a pair of Nikes that I got you. And she said, you know, Sally, all my life, oh, I'm going to get sad. All my life, I worked, when I was young, I worked the fields. And then I worked in factories because I didn't speak English and I had to learn my own. And all your life, you're invisible. Well, you know what? You could do whatever the hell you want, but I'm not invisible. And it's it's a it's an honor for me to go work somewhere where I'm I don't have to wear things on my head and gloves and be backbreaking labor. I get to go somewhere where I have to look presentable for once in my life. And so, you know what? I every day I'm going to dress up and I'm going to put my makeup on. And to me, I am going to the Grammys every single day. Because I'm not invisible. From that so point on, never said a word. Yeah. I never, I thought, wow, there's, there's the story to that, that. Yeah. You can look at somebody who's so over the top, but there's always a story because there's so many people who work so backbreaking labor, whether it be in factories or the fields or, you know, uh, shops, you know, whatever it may be. And they're invisible. They're yeah. just a number and they're work, work, work. And those of us who have to actually go into an office or all of that, I mean, sometimes I guess we do take it for granted. And she didn't. She didn't. She didn't. I did. 
she upped my game in that. Yeah. I thought, oh my gosh, maybe I better do my hair a little nicer. <laughs> Going yeah. to the office. Yeah. But anyway, so that's why. Yeah. That's why she dressed like that. I love it. Well, I was mm-hmm. heavily influenced by her. My mm-hmm. Nana loved skincare and cosmetic surgeries. Yeah. She loved a good facelift. She had her, I mean, she had her breasts done, I think, when she was like in her 30s and 40s. And she got Botox. She had fillers. Like she, and she looked beautiful. She was known as a, just a, being a very beautiful woman. She didn't look plastic. Everything she did was very, very natural. Yeah. Cause she had great skin and everything uh, anyway. But uh, I was, again, heavily, heavily influenced by her, her style and all of that. And my mom, uh, let me be embraced by she embraced the relationship is what I'm trying to say. And there's a lot of moms who are very territorial because as you have a kid and you get this bond with your son or daughter and then you got the mom coming in, the grandma, and it's like they want to establish that like they're the parent. And I have to say you are very selfless in the way that you handled the relationship with Nana because I can't say the same for your other siblings. My mom has other um, brothers and sisters and they're more territorial with their children. And like, I'm the mom and they would almost put a little bit of a distance. Like you're the grandma, but like respect the distance. I make the rules. It's my kid. I I want him raised a certain way. You let Nana have full reign. I was (laughs) co-parented. Nana was a mother figure. You were obviously a mother figure, Mm -hmm. but I I had many influences and you were so uh, open with that. And, and because you didn't try and hinder the relationship or, or you never got jealous that I was so close to my Nana. Mm-mm. You loved it. And because of that, uh, I, I got an incredible relationship with her. I was extremely close to her, as you were too. But it made for a really happy childhood for me, made for a really beautiful uh, little world with my Nana and my mom. And I got very different things from both of these women in my life. But if you go back to, again, if you're looking at your child as a blank slate, honestly, my whole motive behind that my motivation behind that was I wanted you to learn different types of love the intense love of a mom the love of say a grandparent you're very close to your aunt you know Lulu the love of an aunt your aunt Linda I mean you had a lot of love different types male female friends grandmas and so I thought I think you uh, embrace the whole idea of like community village takes a village yeah approach and so I, I really challenged myself not to get so into my role as a mom that I was blocking, you know, all the different dimensions and types of love that you could experience. And it didn't have to center around me. I mean, I, I really focused on when you were born, you know, you mean the world to me, but you're not the world to me. And mm. I think it, it you allowed mean the me, world to me, but you're not, not the, the world, world to me. Right. And, and if I kept that in perspective, then it allowed me to let you foster because I wasn't tied. My identity wasn't so tied to mom and you that if you screwed up or you did this, or you did that, your success was my success. Your failure was mine. No, you were just an extension of building a really good foundation and whatever you did with that was all on you. I would, I didn't want to be tied to that, mm-hmm. you know, just like going to school, you know, with a Hello Kitty or one of just, I wanted you to manifest and I was just laying the foundation for whatever it is you were going to be or whatever you were going to do and however career you wanted to go. My whole role was to lay the foundation and let it manifest as it's meant to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's that's why I think I 
I learned in counseling because, you know, at the time I was going to school to be a marriage family child counselor. And I remember very vividly when the instructor saying your child can't mean and be your world, then it's unhealthy relationship. And that's why you get jealous when other people come in the picture or when they finally find another, you know, mate, a spouse. Oh, uh, that's when the moms get mad that their well, son is dating role, someone or whatever. Because then all Later of a sudden your line. role starts shifting. And if you identify being just a mom, then all of a sudden that role is gone. You've moved on and you're now a husband or whatever. Then all of a sudden it's I'm left here and I kind of don't know who I am anymore because I've been so wrapped up in being a mom. Everything I did was for him or her, you know, my child. That once that part is gone, then you kind of lose your identity. And then there's a big gap for oh, how sad. parents. Well, you don't have to worry about that. No, <laughs> you I didn't think, do that. Well, because letting go with you, letting go with you was like from, from birth on, every day is a letting go process in parenting, in my opinion. How so? Well, like the first time you wanted to pick out your own clothes. So every morning I'd go, I'd pick out your clothes, lay them on the bed. And then one day you, you wanted to pick out the clothes. Kindergarten. And I thought, yeah, remember? And I was like, no, you're going to wear this. And you're like, no, I want to wear this. Okay. So I thought, wow, that's letting go. That's a control. I want him to wear this. He wants to wear that. So then what I did is I just shifted and said, okay, if you want to wear that, then this doesn't match. How about these things? Which do you like? So I started teaching you color coordination very young, you know, so that's that. a letting go. Eating certain foods and going potty train, you know, I had you a diaper and <laughs> you flat out just took off the diaper and went to the bathroom and went. Really? Oh, yeah. There wasn't a whole potty training situation? No, I didn't want to do that. Wait, what? I didn't want to force that. Was I like the older kid that was no, still wearing a diaper? <laughs> and people were like, you need to stop and set some. T-. Oh, my God. I'm I remember so vividly that one. Everybody was like, hey, it's at the time he has to be potty trained. Now is the time. Three years is the typical time when a kid starts getting potty trained. Right. What so, was I, seven? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you weren't seven. You were about two and a half, three. And everyone's saying, okay, you need to block off a month or a couple of weeks and just focus on potty training. And I had learned in psychology that that probably wasn't the healthiest is to force those kind of things. So, you know, I was always going against the grain because a lot of my friends had babies at the time too. And we were all, you know, kind of close in age with our children. And they're like, this is how I did it. This is how I did it. And I thought, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just take a, a mini potty and I put it in the bathroom. And every time someone went to the bathroom, you know, you went in there. And I wanted you to see, you know, that this is how you go to the bathroom. So I'd say, just sit, even though you had your diaper on, I said, sit here. That's a potty. That's a toilet. And you're like, oh, you so get I'd all watch, excited. Like, random family members. Take no, you don't watch random. Like if I had to go to the bathroom, you'd go in with me. Or if your dad had to go in the bathroom okay. to sit down. I wanted you to understand that a toilet was for you to go sit. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had a little mini one right next to, I mean, we were right next to each other. The bathroom was large, so you're over there and here. Yeah. You're like, not on my lap while I go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're over there. But I wanted you to see. So <laughs> this went on, you know, for I'd say a couple weeks. And then, and it was a, like a little um, step stool. And then it had the little potty. So you would go up a little step and then sit. So it's, it 
simulated the toilet. So this went on. Everyone's like, oh, my God, you're making a big mistake. But I thought, well, I drove over to the school, the preschool, and I didn't see any five-year-olds in a diaper. So at some time between now and he goes to school, he will not be in a diaper. So what's the, the, I never saw a kindergartner in a diaper. (laughs) So why am I stressing out? From sometime from here to there, he's going to lose the diaper. He's going to figure it out. I just got to lay the groundwork for him. So I stopped the stress because the first couple of weeks, I kind of listened to everybody. Oh, my God, this. And you just bucked it. And you've always bucked the system. But you were bucking, bucking, bucking. And then I thought, okay, I'm just going to put one here. You had learned in my child development class, just let them emulate. Children emulate, emulate, emulate all the time. Yeah. So if you want him to laugh, you laugh. You want him to, you know, I don't know, whatever it is you want him to do. If you emulate, he's going to kind of evolve into that. One day we were sitting in the living room and (laughs) you walked past me and you just ripped off your diaper and you walked right into the bathroom and went right up to the the grown-up toilet because you didn't even want to mess with the baby toilet. You never did. You went right to the grown-up toilet and sat down. Took a little dumpy. Yeah, but you you got scared. I did. You're like, whoa, because I thought, what a trip. Imagine the first time you go to the bathroom. You don't know what's coming out of you because it's always been in a diaper, smashed. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? And you had your eyes were as big as quarters, like, whoa, what's happening? And I said, oh, it's coming out. <laughs> Yay. Mm-hmm. I just kind of clapped and danced Positive around you. Positive reinforcement. Yeah, look at it. It's coming out. It's coming out. <laughs> oh, my God. And you're like, ooh, it's Celebrating coming out. Celebrating my turn. <laughs> we celebrated and we're like, look at that came out of you. And you just kind of, but I thought, oh, my God, what a weird thing. <laughs> oh, God. For the first time to feel it actually come out. Mm-hmm. So anyway, you were potty trained, no problem. But that's always kind of been my philosophy is just, just breathe and let it unfold as it's meant to. <laughs> and it will. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? You went to kindergarten. You did not have a diaper. You had no. a purse, but you didn't have a diaper. Yeah. That's well, what... <laughs> I love that you let me have a purse. And I love that also, I did play sports growing up, but mm-hmm. you also embraced the nurturing side. I had mm-hmm. dolls and I had little Polly Pockets and I had, and I had, you know, I, I played some football, you know, and I did a bunch of sports. Yeah, you, you did a, a lot of sports. It was sports. a good balance. But you had to play with dolls because how would you learn to be nurturing? If yeah. I was always having you kill, beat up, attack, how the hell would you learn to nurture if I didn't let yeah. you nurture? That's so true. So I thought if you don't have a little sister and, you know, I mean, clearly the dolls is how we nurture. And so we would put it in the little card and, you know, wheel it around the house and change it and feed it. and. I I have to say, I love that I'm an only child. And I always get asked, do you wish you had siblings? I've never wished I had siblings. I think I told you at some point I would have been devastated. I was like, I think like nine or 10. Mm -hmm. And I just would have been a mess if I knew another kid was coming in. Plus, I always felt like I had to share you anyway, because I have so many cousins and everybody Mm -hmm. looks at you like a mother figure, which is so beautiful. But I, I felt like I had a bunch of siblings and I was always sharing you. But I genuinely loved the uh, the little uh, tripod of my mom, my dad, and I, and I had the. I never felt lonely. I never wanted a brother or sister. I was good. Mm-hmm. But I think when I asked you one time about why didn't you have more kids, and I asked you because even though I didn't want a sibling, 
you're an amazing mom and you've been a mother figure to so many people, so many kids. And now to this day, there are, you know, a bunch of people. I can't even count how many. There's so many that look at you and that motherly nurture caretaker side. But I think it's really interesting that you decided not to have more kids because it just didn't make sense fiscally or financially. It's almost like you stopped at one because you wanted to have a specific life to give me certain things economically. And it's like you almost treated your vagina like a business transaction. <laughs> it's like a business transaction. No more kids. I'm stopping now. The, we're done with this business deal. We got one. We want to send him to these schools. We want this for him. And it doesn't make sense fiscally to have more because we can't afford it. Like this is we have one. This is what we're going to do. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> I you know what? I always wanted four. I four. always wanted four kids ever since I, I was a little girl. About you. Yeah. I always wanted four kids. Oh, wow. um, I had this babies. idealization of, you know, uh, kind of a bigger family. But then, you know, honestly, when I had you and I I added up the cost. I, yeah. And um, we just know children cost a lot of money and. You know, there was a lot of stereotype about having only children, but there's no empirical data that supports that. You know, in fact, single children are often, you know, they, they're they not brats. Spoiled. They're not spoiled. I mean, they sometimes actually, they are, though. But see, that's, again, if we go back to empirical data, if children, like for you, things didn't get shared. You had what you had and you always shared it. Because you never had to worry about it being taken away by your brothers and sisters. So you were very generous. And we fostered and, and you know, always said, oh, you're so, you always share and da, da, da. You know, we always did our part on that. But, you know, having more children, it would have just been really expensive. And once I had one, I mean, it dawned on me like, oh, this is, like I said, that first day that I put you on the bed and you were crying and I thought, wow. He needs me. I just, I don't know that I have the finances to do it for two or three or four. I just don't. But I lucked out because I ended up with my nieces and nephews and there was always four in this household as there was. That's very <laughs> so somehow, true. You know, things work in mysterious ways, but I pretty much had four. Yeah. You know, because I had, you know, your, your cousins were here all the time. Oh, they, yeah. So it was just very such close. a nice little family unit. But yeah, I just thought I, I can't, you know, why am I going to have two or three or four? It's just, I, I just don't have the financial means or inclination for that right now. Yeah. Um, I just didn't. I wanted to start a business and I was trying to get my degree and, you know, and I wanted to make sure that and you I did had all of those things, successful businesses. Yeah, well, I want to make sure you went to school, you know, start off you in public and then shift you over to private. So you kind of had some diversity in your background. So I kind of invested that way. Yeah. And I thought, well, if I have one and I can master it, if I ever want more later on down the line, I could always adopt. Oh, yeah. I could always adopt. There's so many children that need to be adopted. So I thought I could always go that route later if I needed to. But yeah. right now, no, I can't afford more than one. So, yeah. But my vagina is not a fiscal transaction. I think so. No, it is not. I think even your marriage with dad is more no, on the business is not. side. No, get out of here. It's an arranged situation. No, it is not. You can leave if you want Whatever. to. Whatever. Okay. Is your New Year's resolution to find time-saving solutions so you can spend less time doing things like grocery shopping and more time with your little one? As a busy parent, I'm always looking for products and brands that will make my life easier. 
What is one change that's easy to make that will make your life easier in 2024? Little Spoon. Little Spoon delivers fresh, healthy meals and snacks that your kiddo will love for every eating stage. Little Spoon is a one-stop shop for healthy, easy mealtime and snack time for your baby, toddler, and big kid delivered right to your door. Their goal is to make keeping your kid healthy feel like the easiest part of your day so that you can cut through all the drama of mealtime. Time-saving and convenient without compromise. Little Spoon delivers baby blends, biteables, plates, smoothies, snacks, and lunchers. Kids love it, and you will too. It's all so fresh, so delicious, and made with the cleanest, high-quality ingredients. Did I mention it all comes right to my door? So flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. I pick the menu and change it up what I order every time. The price is right, the quality is unmatched. I love it, my kids love it, the grandparents love it, and I know all you lowlifers will love it too. A huge win-win-win for my family, and it can also be for yours. Simplify your kiddo's mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash lowlife and enter our code lowlife at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. <laughs> Whatever. Happily <laughs> married for 20, no, 30 years. Mm-hmm. 30, no, 31 years of marriage mm-hmm. with dad. Wow. So long. Yeah. He's on a month to month program. <laughs> yeah. He's on a lease program. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, people live longer now. So yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's not uncommon for it to be the starter wife or the starter husband now. What? Well, yeah. It's not uncommon now. I'm not saying I'm doing that. I'm just Are saying. Are you thinking about leaving down? No, I'm not thinking about. I'm just saying that people live longer. And so. A lot of my friends, you know, after 21 years of marriage are divorced and moving on and oh my God. marrying again. I had one of my girlfriends and her parents were married for 32 years and then they got divorced after those 32 years. They're in their, I think they're in their early 60s, like 64 years mm-hmm. old. And now they're starting fresh mm-hmm. with like hopefully new partners. And I mm-hmm. just think, wow, that is so scary, but makes complete sense because you mm-hmm. could have, if you live to... 80, maybe even 90, you have another 20, 30 years with someone. Yeah. And you're still very active and, you know, it's not your father's old, old mobile, as they say, we're younger now, just yeah. because we're in our fifties is our new 40. And well, I hope you stay yeah. with dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Sure. No. Yeah. If you don't, I fully support whatever yeah, decision you make. I think, you know, what's so cute is I always wonder how have you and dad had such a successful marriage for over 31 years and you've had ups and downs and, and definitely been open in our little tripod of a family with sharing problems and stuff that you may have had along the route. I know no marriages are perfect, but I will say the one thing that's really cool is dad is so obsessed with you. So in love with you. And I know he drives you nuts at times, and I'm sure you drive him nuts too once in a while. How could you not after all that time together? I drive him nuts daily. Yeah. And vice versa. Yes. But I will say that after all that time together, he is still so excited. He still chases you around, tries to grab your butt anytime he can. The guy, it's like, and I almost think that you have been playing hard to get for the last <laughs> 30 years. I just love that you're always like, get off me, get away, like in a cute way. Um, and he just won't leave you alone. And I think that's the cutest dynamic. I love that. Uh, my little darling, 
It is love at first sight, is it not? No. He's just been, you know, chasing you around the house for 30 years. And he's just like madly obsessed with you. And I, I think that's so sweet. But I want to say also that growing up in a house with you, it was always filled with music and laughter and food. Oh, food's a big thing. I should have a whole episode just on talking about the kitchen because that's such an important place for you. Wouldn't it be nice to give recipes out? Oh, my God. You have the best. She, my mom's the best cook. She is an incredible chef. The flavors. Here's the thing, though. If you're not in down for going to Flavortown, then you wouldn't like her cooking. But my mom uses as a Hispanic woman. She uses so many flavors. And we've been so influenced by different cultures. We have a very diverse family, a lot of mm-hmm. spice. So my mom, it's a lot of garlic and just flavor. Hispanic food is very flavorful. So mm-hmm. anyway, it's delicious. We should do a whole episode on that. But what I wanted to get to was growing up, I, I was extremely close to you and I've always had a bond with you. And to this day, it exists. But I definitely have put you through the ringer. And I will say that you are a great example of unconditional love for a child. Thank you <laughs> for that. One thing in particular I've done that stands out to me was, and I don't know if I could, I'm, I hope I have the unconditional love for a kid one day. I don't know, or a teenager. But one, I remember one time, I, I love your bathroom because I love the products that you have in your bathroom. My mom splurges and she'll have the good shampoos and stuff like that. So I think I was, I don't know, 19. I came home and I used your shower. My mom always has like a new razor, just the good stuff. <laughs> and at the time I was going through a Nair phase. Nair is a <laughs> body hair re- remover. Okay. So I remember I used Nair. So you put this Nair cream on and I got the one for like sensitive areas. And I wanted to Nair my, my butthole and my legs. I wanted to Nair it all. So I put the cream on. And my mom has this really soft microfiber little washcloth that she had in the shower. So anyway, I put the nair on and then you leave it on for like seven minutes and then you wipe it off. Wipe it firmly off. (laughs) Firmly off. So I did that. Then I remember my mom, she went into the shower. But you didn't, you didn't rinse it off. You just wiped it off and you just somewhat rinsed it. So there's still a lot. of. I didn't rinse it at all, to be honest. Yeah. That was pretty bad. So then my mom went into the shower and she used, she went to wash her beautiful face and she put my, the Nair washcloth on her face. And I remember her yelling out, my face is, my face is burning. Somebody help. (laughs) My face hurts. You know what? I thought I had put my face wash on it because it was, you know, white kind of residue on it. I thought, oh, I must have my face wash on it and didn't even realize I did that. <laughs> so I was massaging it into my face and my eyebrows were burning. My <laughs> eyelashes were burning. <laughs> my face was burning. Yeah, it was, it was very painful. <laughs> Thank I God. I wanted to kill you. <laughs> you didn't lose your eyebrows. No. Oh my God. I would have killed you. I know. I would have killed you. That I was already pretty upset. <laughs> you were. But that's the kind of unconditional love. <laughs> you burnt my face off. You but that's not me. the only thing but you've done. Wait, you've done can I worse. also say, not only did I burn your face, but you, because there was a little bit of hair on that. Oh, yes. I had your pubic hair. Fully on. <laughs> all over my face. Oh. <laughs> it was so gross because I jumped out. And then I was like, huh, because I couldn't, I, I didn't know you had used Nair. I didn't know anything. I just knew I had 
pubic hair all over my face. Pretty and sick. my eyes were burning and my mouth was burning <laughs> and I had hair all over me and I didn't understand what was happening to I'm my sorry, face. Queen. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because I, I hadn't, you know, I didn't put two and two together. I put you through hell. Yeah, but I didn't know that you had done that. I just knew that I had hair all over my face and I was burning. How? I'm sorry I did that, by the way. Yeah, that still, was not nice. That was not feels nice. fresh. But I will say, how did you avoid not beating me? hitting me as a kid i never had as much of a spanking i never got physically um abused or there was no form of of uh physical discipline at all not even on dad's side and by the way you would always say you know to dad because i think dad really wanted to beat you (laughs) yeah (laughs) he did but you were against it and i mean mom if you don't mind me sharing queen it's so weird to call (laughs) you mom i never do queen if you don't mind me sharing my mom doesn't believe in using physical discipline with a child. So I never had spankings or anything like that. Never. Ever. Like, you've literally never laid a hand on me in mm. 31 years of my life. Never. I mean, it could change. Sure. You might. Change. <laughs> yeah. At any point. But I will say, and dad wanted to hit, and you were like, if you ever laid a hand on our child, our son, I'm out. You, yeah. I, I remember that would be a deal breaker. That's a deal breaker for you. Yeah. And I know that you don't believe in using any sort of physical discipline with the kid because you had the most traumatic, abusive, insane childhood. It's like if you've seen the movie Mommy Dearest, it's like nothing. My mom has been through hell and back in regards to the upbringing she had. Extremely abusive, which also I can circle into the point of my nana was an incredible woman a best friend to me and extremely close to you. Mm-hmm. She lived, my Nana lived in our house for a solid decade. And I didn't even know that you had such an abusive childhood. I didn't know until after she had passed away, the hell you had gone through mm-hmm. as a little girl. And by child abuse, I'm not talking about just spankings here. I mean, this was a very violent and traumatic childhood. A lot of anger involved and it's, why you can't even watch scary or violent movies in now or any type of abuse in a movie. It, it's so triggering. And I completely understand that. But again, I didn't learn about any of this until many years later. And perhaps it was suppressed or, you know, you just chose to not share that side of a relationship you had with your mother. Early stages. How bad it was. So you not wanting to repeat history and and use any sort of physical spankings or anything because it was so triggering to you. I learned that later on, uh, but it was hard for me to understand. And also, the fact that you could let that kind of abuse and, I mean, she she was insane the way she yeah. was to you. A young Nana, I mean, she she was nuts. Nutso mom. Yeah, she, but was, I, she but, was insane. But see, you didn't hold, but that's, that's, that's true. One forgiveness and so beautiful that you didn't use any of that against her. And you let me have a beautiful relationship with her. And when I got to the age where I didn't find out that Nana was, uh, was a crazy mom towards you. She, it's like when I was born and she had a grandchild, she was like neutered in her anger. Like I, I, my Nana never, you know, I, I can even fathom her even giving me a spanking. It was nothing but love from her. Uh, but the fact that you never held anything like that against her and you let me embrace something so beautiful with her and you had something incredible with her too you guys were best friends too Mm -hmm. you guys are extremely close 
Um, I think yeah, that she was my best is friend. the ultimate testament of forgiveness, the ultimate testament of or example of of love and unconditional love. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought that, you know, you used to always laugh. I used to tell you anger is one letter shy of danger. danger. <laughs> I knew I have or still have a temper. And I just thought it doesn't work. It really doesn't work to to beat you into submission or to hit. It it just it didn't work for us. We were just horribly bratty children with my mom, you know. And even and though, that's all she knew was using physical. Yeah, I mean, because you know she became a mom as a teenager, and that's not an excuse. There's a lot of of us who go through life and are still with PTSD and you know child abuse, and it's prevalent. I had to find a way to forgive so that I could live my authentic self. I couldn't, I couldn't move on in life and hold that anymore. So I had to do a lot of work to, to kind of understand why it happened. You know, what happened to you as a mother that you inflicted so much pain, level of physical, you know, beatings, you know, to somebody. And the more I understood her. So if I were to write a book and tell my story, people would be like, oh my God, they're horrible people. What a horrible mother. But if I were to write her story, oh my God, people would say, what a horrible story for her. If I were to write my grandmother's, oh, what a horror. It's everything would go, you know, everybody has a story that triggers or, and some of us, you know, fortunately are able to work through that and find genuine forgiveness. Yeah. And genuine forgiveness is tough because it's not even I'm sorry and you have to say sorry. Genuine forgiveness is just letting go of that pain and and understanding where it came from. And it kind of marinates you. It turns you into um, somebody who just understands a little bit more how those things could happen in someone's life, you know. And my goal was not to repeat the cycle which is very common, you know. Abuse leads to more abuse as when you're a parent. Right. So my focal point when I had you, I didn't feel I was ready, but I knew if I hit, it would feel too good and I probably would end up in jail. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Really, you just thought, oh my God, this is going to feel too good. It's too familiar. Yeah. And so I had to learn to dial back fast and find, you know, different ways. So I, 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 at the time I was taking child psychology and sociology of the family, you know, my, towards my major. And so I just learned different ways to parenting. Now, definitely I'm not better than anyone out there. I don't want your listeners to think that I'm preaching. They're going to think that. No, I'm just saying that for me, I had to get to a point of true forgiveness because I had to heal so that I could be free. How did you get Okay, this woman, my Nana, who I love, but all that aside, how did you get to the point where this woman who beat the living shit out of you your entire adolescence in, and up until your teen years, it didn't stop until you were like out of the house? How did you? Well, actually, it, it stopped. Actually, interesting. It stopped my 10th grade year. Which and I know exactly when. A freshman in, it, in high school. I was a freshman in high school and it was just one too many time. And I actually ran away. And I remember I had called my stepfather because they were divorced at the time. 
And I said, you know, mom's beating me and I need help. So he said, well, get a, there's, get a trash bag, take all your clothes, take your, you know, blanket, whatever, and jump out, the, jump out the window and go run. And I'll keep her on the phone. Were they still together? No, they were divorced. They're in the process of a divorce. Okay. And he was like, run, just get out of the house and get away from her. And I'll keep her on the phone so that you can escape. And I you said, were what, okay. 14? 10th grade's around 14, 15. Yeah. yeah. And so it was right in the beginning of the year, like September, September, October. So I remember getting a big bag and shoving my blanket, a pillow, clothes, my books, everything that I could. And I snuck out the window and took off running. But then, so he kept her on the phone and I went running, but I thought, where am I going? So like, yeah. where am I running to? But I ran because I knew that if I stayed, it was going to be pretty brutal. And now that I ran, there was no going back because I probably, it, I, she probably would have, it just would have not been good. Oh, she would have beat the hell out there of you. There was just no way. So I ended up running away and, you know, I lived out on the streets for a number of months. So, wow. Yeah, but I remember the first night there was racquetball courts at the local high school. And I just remember going into a racquetball court and just sitting there and the fog was down. You could hear the dogs, you know, howling, the loose dogs. Oh my God, just the fear. So Not maybe, to mention weird homeless people. Yeah, it just, it was a lot of, you know, I lived in a, not the nicest area, so it was a lot of gangs and gang, you know, activity going on. It was just a, not a, it was a dangerous area, but I stayed there and I just hid there. And then it was like two in the morning and I heard this little Yamaha 80. We used to have these little Yamaha 80s and I heard the ee, and I thought, I know that sound. And it was my brother and it was Gilly. My uncle Gilly. Yeah, your uncle. And so I remember Who's he my came mom's around. older brother. So he came around the rack ball and he's like, oh my God, mom's going to kill you. You better keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, there went that tender moment. But I ended up going to a friend's house and then Gilbert found a friend whose mom was hardly ever home that would kind of let me couch surf there. And so I just kind of. Couch kind of, surfed and surfed little and, time on the streets, little time on people's couches. Yeah. Just kind of lived. How many out. months? Like a few, three months, four um, months, three or four months. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was brutal, but. How did she not find you? And you know what? It was interesting because they were looking. They were looking everywhere. Weren't the cops involved? The cops were involved. Everybody should go to my best friend's house looking for. Everybody was always warning me where she was at and what what route she was on and stuff. And I went to school. Ironically, I went to school every day. And the security guards would warn me if she was coming. They would say, your mom is in the front office. And then I would hurry up and leave class and take off. But the principal um, kind of... This they, is the 70s, by the way, too. Child yeah. abuse is like very accepted in the 70s. Yeah, it was, you know, it was spare the rod, you know, spoil the child. It was a different time. So I remember one day they came and said, Sal, we can't hide you anymore. She's here with the cops and you have to go to the front office and I have to take you. And I said, no, 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 I'll run out the back gate. They're like, no, we have to take you. But I remember going up there and, and my mom was there and she just broke down. And the principal said, you know, you're really abusive with her and she doesn't have to go with you. We could have her go to Orangewood, which is a children's center mm. for foster youth. And so 
my mom. She said this this principal, a male or female? Was a male. A male said this to Nana. To my mom. Yeah. And were you there? Did you witness mm-hmm. this? I was sitting there and he said, you can't touch her because she was already raising her hand in the principal's office. Like, I'm going to beat I'm her. I'm going to beat the living shit out of you. She was so upset, wow. you know, and it took her months to find me. And the the principal said, she doesn't have to go with you, Sally. It's your choice. And so I said, well, I'll go. He, she said, well, then she'll go to juvenile hall. And I said, well, then I guess I'll go to juvenile hall. So he says, well, we'll take you to juvenile hall. You're going to go to jail. So then she said, can I have a moment with her? And I said, I don't want to be alone with her. And he said, well, she says, I promise I won't hit her. So we went in the room and she said, you would rather live in the streets and in jail than come home with your mother? And I remember looking at her eye and saying, yeah, I would. And she broke down and she says, why? And I said, because you hit me. And she said, I promise I will never hit you again. Just come home. And I kind of was like, should I, should I not? And at the very end, I said, okay. And she says, just promise me you'll never lie to me again about anything. I said, okay. So I ended up going home. She never hit me again. Yeah, she never hit me again. And, And we ended up being really close and and I never had a reason to lie to her because oh, she always so sweet. yeah I didn't I promised not to lie so if I was going to ditch I would just say mom I'm going to ditch if I was in trouble I'd say mom I'm in trouble and this is why and I realized probably in parenting if you just could foster that communication and you both let your guard down, then you can move mountains. Yeah. And I think that's what it was for us. And I think that's why, you know, as I moved on in life, we had, oh my God, seriously more problems. But But I think it never got physical again. Never. We got through high school and we were close. And and I really thought probably why with you I had that approach. Like, because I know it works. And I see it didn't work with my brothers and sisters. They lie. They get in trouble. They, it was sneaky. It was always hiding things. Always from her. hiding. You know, there was always drama and trauma. And she was at her wits end and she'd lose her. You know, it was just that, but not with me. Not with me. I always just kind of moved along my path. And when I got older, I realized when I had you, I thought, I remember saying, I'm never going to strike you. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. But I know what does work because it worked for me was for me to build a foundation to where you felt safe to say whatever it is you had to say. Wow. And then I had to be not so tied up in my role as mom that it was an affront to me as a person. So if you did something stupid, that's your own stupidity. That has nothing to do with me. You know, Mm. if you're mad at me. I didn't say anything mean to you. You must be mad at yourself because I know I didn't do something intentionally to hurt you. You see? It was so me making mistakes wasn't an attack on your ego. It was an attack. I let go of that. It wasn't personal. I let go of that. And so in parenting, I just learned that I had to move in phases with you. So the first phases of your life, I get it. My role is to protect you and make sure you have food and water and grow you like a plant. You know, sow the seed for you. And then when you got to be 
you know, maybe eight years old to 11 or 12, my goal was to build a network here where you felt that you had influences mm-hmm. because that's when you're, you know, from young to, you know, seven or eight is when your personality is really shaped. And so I needed to make sure your life script wasn't my script, it was your script. Otherwise, you'd have these hangups about, yeah. I have that's to do That's when you this. hear about like the parent living through their child. Yes. Making them do pageants or whatever, right. you know, so I had to and... Right. So I just had to dial back and say, okay, you know what? He doesn't need me to keep making him his food and do this and do that. I have to let go of that part, that shed that part of momhood and move on to being more of a coach and laying a good foundation, making sure that you felt safe as you were discovering yourself and school and friends. And I just had to be here to make sure that you were well equipped with that positive reinforcement, help your ego get developed, make sure you didn't become a narcissistic little brat, you know, teach you life lessons. And that's the role. Then when you got to be a, a teenager, you didn't want a mom and you certainly didn't want a coach. You didn't want to hear crap from anybody. <laughs> no. So then uh-huh. I thought, okay. Arrogant little bastard. Yeah. And but I, I was thought, also, you know, that's uh, 17. I was becoming like a little rooster wanting yeah. to come into my own. Yeah. And, and my job then was to help you learn safe rebellion. So if you no longer wanted to clean your room the way I wanted to, I just shut the door. That was safe rebellion. So my role at that time was, let go of the nurturing, let go of the coach. And now I'm going into more enforcer (laughs) and making sure that he was just doing safe rebellion. You know, as long as it was safe rebellion, I would back up. But if it became unsafe, whether it be drugs, alcohol, um, sex, you know, things that were going to harm you, then then I that's when I put my foot down. It's interesting, though, because I so I went to a school that was a lot of wealthy white kids mm-hmm. <laughs> and you did not want me to go to that school no, i went I to modern day high school I it's a bunch of rich ass white kids the school is actually located in the ghetto of santa Ana, which is a heavily hispanic area but modern day itself is this little beacon of white rich privileged catholics and it's mm-hmm. a well-known school um, they're known for their sports their academia is high level it's college preparatory Yet there's a lot of wonderful people come out of modern day. It's a great school. Don't get me wrong, but it's a lot of privileged brats that go there and the, and it's a commuter school. So, you know, people come from all over. If they want to play sports, you want to be on a great football team, get a scholarship or, you know, go far in in a sports career, you go to modern day. Mm -hmm. And if you want like a great, the alumni is very strong and it's almost like a a school that funnels people into USC, UCLA, Stanford, Harvard. It's a feeder school. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's very expensive to go to that school. And you put me there. My father went there and all of my dad comes from a large family. We're going to get him on the podcast another time. But you had the history of the Von Rumpfs Mm -hmm. going to this school and you were like, no, but dad actually prevailed, got his Mm -hmm. way and he got me to go to modern day high school. And of course you were bummed about it. And it's interesting because amongst my group of friends, <laughs> you were the strict parent. I wasn't allowed to sleep over at people's houses. No sleepovers. I didn't have my first drink <laughs> until it was my, my first sip of alcohol. I didn't even get to sneak alcohol. There was no like secret drinking happening. I didn't have, I think I had a Smirnoff ice my senior year at prom. 
And I remember everyone having to to try and find a way to get me to be allowed to spend the night at someone's house for prom because we had like a party bus and all the kids. (laughs) And I remember my mom goes to this like Newport Beach house and she was already over it because she's like all these parents, they just want to be friends with their kids. And, And that's the role that at my high school, all the moms were like, you could drink. It's like Mean Girls, like straight up like that movie. I relate to it so much in the sense of the moms that were like, here's, you know, alcohol. Here's some condoms. As long as it's safe here. There are no rules in this house. I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. <laughs> right, Regina? Please stop talking. They just wanted to be part of like the teenagers. It was right. so weird. You never were like that. And you were so disgusted by that. So that's why you never let me stay over and you didn't trust any of the moms. Mm-hmm. You were just like, no, all those parents are whack. I was so over that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you're like, you're not going to hang with all these uh, overprivileged little white brats. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. so when you when, when it came to discipline, though, I, I think I wasn't I wasn't fearful of you, but I just knew like not to F with you. I knew not to mess with you because you would shoot me looks and I'd be like, oh, shit. That's the thing. My mom, you've never laid a hand on me, but you would shoot me a look. And I was like, uh oh. Like I, it's almost like my mom has these big, beautiful hazel eyes, <laughs> but they, they can shoot you a freaking look. And it's like, I knew that my mom's been through some shit. When you look at someone and you're like, maybe they served time in prison or maybe they, <laughs> they got a past. And that's what I think when I look at you, queen, that, and my, uh, my dad would always say like, like, you don't want to see your mom get to that point. <laughs> so I, I stayed in line and I was good through eighth. I mean, all my remember childhood. I was in the disciplinarian phase of that because you were around a lot of really bad influences. So, yeah, you I I had to be OK that you didn't need a friend. You needed somebody to make sure that you didn't end up, you know, in trouble. And I have to say, in my teenage years, your philosophy, and I remember this very vividly, <laughs> was you said, listen, you're an investment. And because I was hanging out with some like loser kids and these like brats that had just wait. Imagine being that age, 17 years old and having parents who are traveling the world. So they don't really care about you. That's not me. I'm talking about all my friends. So their parents weren't really in the picture. They had just access to way too much money. These kids were driving Porsches and Land Ro- Range Rovers and just it's absurd. Anyway, mm-hmm. so and I'm hanging out with them and I don't have that. I'm I have family dinners every Sunday. My mom and I talk every single day. She's making sure I'm not drinking like she's very involved in my life. And all these kids were basically raised by nannies and then raising themselves through high school. All their parents cared about was that they, you know, uh, went to a great university and they probably paid their way into that. That being said, I love the philosophy that you had. I resented the hell out of you in high school, but I understand because you said, listen, you're an investment. And at 18, technically, legally, I can choose whether I want to keep investing in you or I'd like to pull out my investment because I don't think it's worthy of the time and, the, and investing in it anymore. And I remember you sat me down and said that. And you said, so we can go one of two routes. You can take the route you want. You can still hang out with all your losers and you can go and you can try and smoke pot and drink and just be a disappointment. Do what you want. I'm not going to watch that train wreck. And I, I have the right to pull out my investment. And if you choose to go down that path, I'd like to pull out my investment. So it's the cards are on the table. You do what you want with them. I chose the right path. Thankfully, I was like, 
it really was a wake up call because I thought you've put in so much time and tears and love and effort and sacrifice, even sacrifice to get me to modern day, um, to spend all that money. And, and you've invested so much emotionally and physically and financially into me. And that you laying it on the table like that for me as a 17 year old little shithead. I, I really had a wake up call and I thought, wow, what am I even doing? And I'm not, and I don't even know any of these people to this day. Like I've, once high school graduated, they're gone, whatever. And I, well, it was going past <clears throat> safe rebellion, Yeah, you know, safe rebellion, you know, little lies to me and sneaking out. Okay. That's all just kind of safe stuff. And you got to just do it and feel like you got one over fine. You know, you can get through that. And, and we just had to look the other way. You know, your godfather looked the other way. Your dad looked the other way. Your nana looked the other way. Everybody kind of knew that, oh, my God, he's going through something. Mm -hmm. And we all agreed as a family, let him feel like he's always pulling one over on everybody. That's cool. That's fine. But when it got to where, you know, you were hanging out with people that were disrespectful or doing drugs, or I honestly knew they were not good friends, then, yeah, you know, once you're 18, I don't have to do this. <laughs> and that's why we, we had to just sit down and have that difficult have conversation that difficult because I, again, I couldn't, I can't tie myself to your screw ups at that time were a reflection on me, you know, because I know we gave you a great foundation, but you still wanted to go down that path. And I, I just couldn't watch it. It was too painful. No way. It was too painful. You were like, you know, really going off the deep end over there. You know, so remember, yeah. oh my gosh, I remember the, the girl, everything. So I remember just saying, hey, you can't do it. You, you're an investment. And if you want to stay here, we're going to give you more. We'll, we'll help you. We'll help you get to college. We'll do whatever. But if not, then that's fine. I get it. But I can't watch it. We still love you and we're still here. You still have us, but you can't be physically here. You, right. know, you got 30 days. You can move out. Yeah. Go get a job take a different path damn but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do that i chose the right path and look at us today we're thick as thieves best friends to this day that was over 15 years ago and we're still so close and i'm so thankful for you did and you were really you know you were very practical i remember you came back you're like queen (laughs) i thought about it because you're always really practical i think i'm gonna stay here like it was my treat Mm -hmm. like i'm lucky (laughs) you're lucky because i choose you Mm-hmm. I was like, yay. Yeah. <laughs> You're so happy. You're going to be here, you know. And, yeah. And you had your own ideas of what you wanted to do. And you flat out said, you know, I, I don't think I want to go to USC. I think I want to go and become an entrepreneur. I want to go out on my own. And that's fine. You know, yeah. You just embrace whatever it. you do, just go balls to the wall with it. Just go for it. No fear. Just do it. Be fearless. Be fearless. I mean, you don't have kids. You don't have, you know, a house that you just bought, go make a mistake, do whatever it is you need to do. Now's the time to do it. Yeah. And so, yeah, you, but you always were, you know, you always were just a loving, nice person. And I think that's the best thing that a parent can say is uh, take away the titles. Do you like the person they've become? Wow. That's to me was the most you know, it wasn't about any accomplishments. It wasn't if you went to USC and got that business degree, we had all thought you were going to do. It wasn't, you know, whether you have a, a married and kids and maybe a grant. It was nothing to do with that. Everyone would ask me, 
you know, about parenting, I said, I like him. He's just a good person. And if you like who your children become, then who cares if they're they living with path. you? Who cares if they take a different path? Do you like them? Yeah. Yeah. I really like you. I love you. But I like you as a person. You're a good person. I like you too. <laughs> so that's what that was to me, how I tied into that. And like, if you weren't my mom and I just, I would still be obsessed with you and want to hang out with you all the time. Yeah. And I'd like to hang out with you too. You're yeah. just funny and you're nice and giving and you're just a cool guy. And Aww. so I like you. Thanks, Queen. So I think as a parent, I, I guess I'm not tied to whether your successes. I just want to know that you're a good person. And do I like you? Yeah, I like you. I think we'll yeah. stick around a little bit longer. <laughs> but if you act like a little shit, then I won't. <laughs> She's out. I'm out. Love it. Well, Queen, thank you again for being a guest. I love you so much. And I wouldn't even be able to do this podcast if you weren't the backbone, the support, the love that you give. I wouldn't even have the confidence to even do this right now. Truthfully, I, I owe everything to you. Everything in my life I owe to you. All because you've just been so influential and such an incredible partner, uh, confidant, mother, spiritual guidance. I mean, you've really helped me so much in my life. And uh, I love that I can get it on record on the low show. <laughs> I want to say thank you because I owe everything and anything successful, yeah, in my life to you. I really oh, genuinely do. I wish I could take that credit, but you honestly, take it. I just gave you the foundation. Well, it's... this is all you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> this is all you, sweetheart. On that note, Queen, I love you so much. Thank you for being a guest today. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode of The Low Show. I'm so glad you got to meet my mama, and I'm bringing her back for round two next week. I'm sure she's going to be happy to come back. I have more conversation to have with her. We're going to talk about toxic friends. Got some tea to spill. That's a whole episode in itself. And of course, she's going to give some great life advice, learning some life lessons. I can't wait to have her back next week, which is episode 10. Can't believe I'm already on episode 10. I feel like I just did episode one yesterday, and I'm so enjoying doing this podcast with you. I'm so glad you guys are enjoying it. And again, thank you for taking the time out of your day to leave that five-star rating, leave a comment on Apple Podcast Reviews, and also subscribing to The Low Show. I'm learning how this whole thing works still, and my producers always tell me that's so important, that your listener gives a five-star rating, and they can subscribe, and they leave a comment. The more comments you have, the better for the show. It keeps this shit show going, so little engine that could could still keep choo-choo-chewing and doing its thing for you. I'm having so much fun again doing this. I have some great episodes in store for the holiday season. I want to do an episode just on like all the crazy shit that goes down for the holidays. A Von Roomp family Christmas is a whole thing in itself. We have a monochromatic Christmas. We do tamales. Just fill you guys in on some of the traditions. I think that would be really fun. But again, we have some great episodes in store. I hope you guys have a beautiful weekend. Get your Christmas tree. Get bundled up. Watch a good movie or something cute. But until then, make sure you drink your water, putas, because I know you're thirsty. I love you guys, and I'm out. <laughs>